Ladies and gentlemen, finally, the time has come. The waves, the water, the lifeguards. The bikinis. The Mojo Radio Show Summer Series, live from Bondi Beach. The most iconic beach on the planet. Hey everybody and welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, live from the iconic Bondi Beach. This is the first of our outside broadcast. It's it's we call it a pop-up OB studio. We have perched ourselves in front of the pavilion, right behind the Bondi Lifesaving Pavilion. And I've got to say, Robbo, it's quite an optic. It is quite a knifeful. It's a very nice spot. And uh, I've got to say, stand by to get some. Stand by to get some. Now, uh, the crew is almost here. AP is trying to find a parking spot for the big <laughs> red bus. Anybody who knows Bondi will know that he could be quite a while. Um, what's interesting is some of the people that have stopped by who have asked what we're doing and know the show. This is Phil Collins here. And apparently the Bondi Lifesavers are uh, big on the Mojo Radio Show as well. We've had a couple <laughs> of good days from them this morning. Uh, question, did we? Did you bring Lola? Lola? I'm listening. Lola, you ready to roll? I'm ready. Does my CPU look big in this bikini? <laughs> <laughs> Anywho's, let's get this show on the road. Robbo's Remarkable Facts. Let's go. Remarkable fact, go. A remarkable fact, since we're at Bondi, I figured it had to be pretty Bondi-centric. The most famous beach day in Bondi's history, it was 47.3 degrees, and it's estimated that there were 40,000 people on Bondi Beach. But what's even more remarkable than that is that the beach cleared of people in about 30 seconds when when AP emerged from the water in his budgie smuggles. I thought you were going to say, what's remarkable is that 40,000 people and none of them listen to our show. Yes, well, <laughs> <laughs> there's always that, but, you know, let's keep it to ourselves, right? Hi, I'm Arturo. I'm Cristina. We're from Guatemala. And, and we love, love the Mojo Radio Show. All summer long. Keep it turned up. Summertime. The Mojo Radio Show Summer Series. Live from Bondi Beach. So if you're a regular on the show, you'll probably know the name John Zaraski. He was a previous guest. Was it earlier this season? I'm pretty sure it was, actually, yeah. And Jay-Z wrote a book with his partner, Jason Knapp. The book was called About Time. Now, these guys used to work at Google. They used to work at YouTube. So they are the guys who essentially were working to gain our attention and take away our time. They've since left Google and or YouTube and have now written this book. And Jay-Z is in Australia. He's doing a speaking tour, talking to people about how do you make time? So Jay-Z, welcome to Bondi Beach, mate. Our Thank first you. of our summer series on yeah. the Mojo Radio Show. Yeah, very exciting to be here. This is my first time in Australia, first time in Sydney, first time at Bondi. So. So Great. you have come to Australia to do the show with us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Wouldn't yep. it be cool if we could say, we flew him out here to yeah. do the show? Yeah, I'll forward yeah. you guys the, uh, the tax invoice on the, uh, the airline ticket. So no, this is not a Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss, James Altucher who flies all their people to a studio. We have set up a little studio on Bondi Beach, right in front of the Bondi Pavilion. This is a, fa a famous, iconic beach in an iconic part of Australia, mate. You're actually here to do some gigs, aren't you? You're here to work. Yeah. Yeah, my, the original reason for my trip was to teach a couple of design sprint workshops and then to speak at the Leading the Product Conference, which is a conference for, for product managers that's um, put on by BrainMates, which is a, an Australian 
uh, sort of product management consultancy. And so that's kind of my, those are kind of my people going back. If you look <laughs> back over my career, you know, doing software, product design and they're development and all that they're stuff. They're my people. Yeah. They're my people. Yeah. So they're kind of my, my peeps. They're my peeps. Yeah. They're, they're the people that, that get me. Um, and they get all my, my nerdy references to things. Um, and then once I, once I had, had booked those gigs and I just started to put the word out that I was going to be here and a few more people reached out and, and so managed to put together a pretty good calendar. I think it ended up being six events in 12 days between Melbourne and, and Sydney. So it was kind of busy. It hasn't left a lot of time for sightseeing, but been able to, to wander around the cities and get a feel for things. Do you know, it's myself. interesting though, because what we'll talk about is what's happened with the book since we saw you last, which is, I think I checked up about six months ago since we actually interviewed yeah. you on the show. But what's interesting is something that we did talk about then is that we, we chastised the digital world. Sure. And we blame it for a lot of things. Sure. Yet, had it not been for the digital world, you wouldn't have been able to put the word out saying, I'm going to be in Australia and pick up gigs. Because yeah. that would not have happened 10, 12, 15 years ago back when we no. were on radio. And the second thing is that we wouldn't be sitting here with you as mates sitting around a table here at Bondi Beach had it not been for the digital world. So it's kind of, it gets blamed for a lot of things. But then the other side of it is it does have a lot of business benefits and Absolutely. social benefits, doesn't it? Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I think um, I think that we're, we're all kind of in the midst of trying to figure this stuff out. You know, it's a lot of the technologies that you're talking about, they're, they're 10 years old or they're 15 years old or, you know, they're really in the, in the span of human history. They're, they haven't been around all that long and, and we evolved for a world that looks very different from, from what we have today. And we were just talking before we started recording about how it used to be that, you know, when you, when you went to the office, your work began for the day. And then when you left the office, your work ended and that was it. And you had these natural barriers and you, you had this natural compartmentalization of your time. But nowadays those barriers are gone and, and new information and new, new networks and new processes are being thrown at us at all times. And so I think we're all trying to figure it out. You know, I think we're trying to harness the really good things, um, the things about technology that can make our lives better and can enable us to make amazing connections and do work that makes a difference for people, but, but not have it take over and bleed into every little space uh, of our days. Just on, on that bleeding part, and we did talk about that word compartmentalizing, which I think is a really interesting topic. And I, I'm yeah. not sure it's being talked about enough or explained as a means to be able to deal with this distraction and, and digital information overload. Yeah. I guess my question is, give me, give me an example of either how you have managed to compartmentalize. Like, do you use that and, and structure your day around that? Yeah. And or examples of someone who you know has read the book, buys into what you and Jake have written about and talk about, that has used this tool of compartmentalizing just to give us a framework of what is it and how would it be used sure. to help us make time? Yeah. I think about it at different scale levels. So there's the, there's the micro scale. If you zoom all the way in and you look at the use of a particular app, for example. So for me, um, I compartmentalize my use of email by only doing email in the afternoon and only doing it on my computer for the most part. You know, I have to make exceptions sometimes. But, but that is extremely helpful for me because um, email is the thing on my phone. More than, more than Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, 
email is the thing that I have a hard time resisting. It's the devil. Yeah, because I don't I don't work at a big company, so I never get copied on on big reply all threads. You know, I if I get an email, there's a good chance it's it's something interesting. It, it's you know it could be from you inviting me to to inter- do an interview wow. at Bondi Beach, right? So there's <laughs> the important stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I find email very difficult to resist, and so. Um, so I've compartmentalized it by, by having certain times of the day and certain yeah. places where I do it. And there's actually some research that shows that when we spend less time on something, like email, we get better at it. Uh, there's a st- study at the University of British Columbia in Canada specifically about email and the people who were forced as part of the study to check email only three times a day they were more efficient and they were better at email and they felt less stressed. Um, so, and, and I apply that to, to other, you know, other examples of those, those micro things. So social media, I, I go on Twitter and LinkedIn for about 30 minutes each day, again, in the afternoon to, to uh, see if anybody has written to me, to reply. That's when I write and schedule new posts. Um, but then I think, I think if we zoom out, then there's also some really interesting applications of, of compartmentalizing. I mean, if you look at, um, I mean, I think you had an amazing story of, you, you know, doing your inside work during the, the morning and then doing your outside work on your farm in the afternoon. Um, my, my wife and I took this idea of compartmentalizing to an extreme degree, and we spent uh, close to two years living on our sailboat and traveling in Central America where Nice. Yeah, lots of, nice. lots of time in Panama. Hello, hello to all our friends in Panama. We've got a big, big listening audience in Panama. And, and, a, big really? hello, and a big yeah. hello to Van Halen as well. Yeah. yeah <laughs> all the canal people. You know? yeah. <laughs> they, I think we, our biggest audience is in the Far Canal. Oh, really? Yeah, in the Panama, Far Canal. The, the yeah, right. Panama Far Canal. The one right at the right. right He's dropping Aussie tracks now. There's don't definitely, an, a, yeah, yeah, some. some <laughs> References I'm not picking up John's on here. going, what? What have I got myself And into? our friends in Panama are going, what? Who are these idiots? <laughs> yeah, I apologize on behalf of Gary. Taxi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Turns out you did have a big audience yeah. in Panama. <laughs> did. Did is the key word. Yeah. That's it. But I, I want to ask you something because yeah. you touched on something that I'm, I'm working on at the moment in yeah. email. And I, 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 like you, find myself, if I turn to email for one email, I get distracted and I'm checking six. Yeah. So it's partly a, it, it's partly a, a discipline thing. But the other problem that I have is being an audio engineer, I can't just go, well, I'm going to check my emails at six, six this morning, midday and five in the afternoon because in that time, in the meantime, I might have three clients emailing me going, hey, can you change this? We've, can you change this script? Blah, blah, blah. Is, 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 is there a better way to do that than just going, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to have to check and I'm just going to have to live with it. I'm going to have to be disciplined if you, if you need to compartmentalize. I think you need, to, you need to adapt it to what is required for your work. You know, I, I, I get a lot of questions from people who say things along the lines of, well, my job is, is in customer support and so answering emails is my job. And, and in that case, it's like, well, great, then that's the work that matters to you. That's how you create value and you should embrace that. And, and it sounds like your situation is probably somewhere in between. So what works for me as a person who, you know, really, I spend a lot of my time writing and developing presentations and workshops and, and it doesn't matter if an email comes in because it's not going to change the course of the work that I'm doing. That's what works for me is going to be different than what works for you where you need to be a bit more responsive to changes that are coming in in real time. So I think... I think checking more often is helpful. There's, there's, um, 
you know, there's a lot of tools that you can set up to help to filter out different kinds of, you know, different messages into different inboxes. And so you, you can do some optimization of that kind of thing if it, yeah, if it right. helps for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and particularly with, um, uh, with the mobile phone, one of the problems with checking email on your phone is that most people don't respond to emails from their phone. So what happens is you check it, you get your brain gets stuffed with all the all the emails that you saw that yeah. you know you're going to have to do something with, but you don't have time to do to deal with right now. So if you can instead filter that down and have an inbox that's only the things that you really do need to see, it's certain clients that you're actively working with, um, then yeah, you yeah. can you can do a quick check of that, and if there's nothing there, then you can go back to your work and not be uh, overwhelmed or bogged down by the rest of the messages. Yeah. In there. yeah. John, just now that we've gotten rid of all our listeners in Panama, yeah. <laughs> if I just go back to Panama, sure. We, you were talked about the micro, then you were in the macro yeah, before I yeah. interrupted you with the <laughs> far canal. Uh, when you were on the boat for eighteen months yeah. and you were down there in Sudamerica, uh, how how did you compartmentalize that? Because that's an interesting one. I had a guy ask me this same question about being on holidays. He said, "Perhaps I'm in the snow." running a startup, I'm on holidays, but there is just stuff that I am responsible for. How do I go about doing that? When you're with your wife on the boat, how did you compartmentalize your days in a macro sense? So unlike a holiday, we had planned for a long time to, to take this trip, this sailing trip. And so we arranged a lot of things in, in life to not require constant connectivity. Um, all sorts of things, you know, things involving the work that I was doing. And I, I, I wrote Make Time right before we left on the boat. And then it came out sort of um, during our, our, our hurricane season break when we were off the boat. Um, that's when we launched Make Time last year. Um, so there were certain things like that that I knew I could sort of arrange that I could, I could, when I had time to go online and deal with critical things I could, but for the most part, everything was, was lined up so that I didn't have to be constantly working. Um, and there were a lot of other, it was actually a really interesting lesson in terms of, you know, what technologies really are useful and essential for you and, and how do you, how do you plan ahead to, to have those things available? So, movies that we wanted to watch and books that we wanted to read and, and, and the nautical charts that we needed and, and guidebooks to the places we were visiting. We had to plan ahead and have all that stuff downloaded. Um, and, you know, that's, that's not the sort of thing that I, is directly applicable to everybody's situation. But, but for us, it, was, it really forced us to slow down and step away from the, like, oh, I have a question, I'll just look, up on, look on my phone. Or, oh, I don't feel like cooking tonight, I'll just grab my phone and order some delivery. Um, we, we didn't have those options in, in a lot of cases, so we had to be much more thoughtful about how we were using technology, and I think that that level of intention has carried over into to how we try to live today. I'm always curious, you just mentioned the book, Make Time, I'm always curious when I talk to authors, because when you put a book out, and then you're going and speaking and doing media, and then people will say, I read your book, yeah. And I can't wait to tell you their story. Yeah. What I'm curious about is we haven't spoken to you for six months. Yep. Give me, give me a story or a couple of stories of people who've read the book who have made changes and tell us what changes have they made that perhaps you hadn't thought of before you wrote the book, but now these things have come out since writing the book yeah. of how people have taken the work you and Jake have done and said, I've implemented it in my way and it's made a difference. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's there's so many stories, and it's actually something I think we something I think we've done a good job with um, with the sprint book, 
is gathering those stories. So we have a website called Sprint Stories, but we have not done that yet for make time. And it's something that I, I would like to do is really collect those stories and put them in a place where other people can find them. But, uh, but I, I can share a few that come to mind. There's a guy that I'm actually meeting with tomorrow here in Sydney oh, really? who reached out and, and um, I, I believe the subject line of his email was, I love to make time and here's what I've done with all the time. Wow, <laughs> he, nice. he actually, he, nice. um, he's a, a, a software engineer or something like that. And he, in addition to his day job, he basically used the, the tactics in the book to sort of carve back, to claw back some of his own free time. And he used it to build a software tool that's sort of a scheduling tool that's, that works differently than the typical calendar. But it's a scheduling tool that allows him to make the decisions he wants to make wow. about his time. So that's a pretty extreme example. Um, uh, one, one, one fun small example, and I love it when people come up with their own little tactics of things that they do. Um, yeah. One person told me about this tactic that I have since adopted, which is um, whichever is your, your dominant hand, so I'm, I'm right-handed. This person said, um, for your phone, unlock your fingerprint scanner. Um, make it your not your dominant hand. Ah. So, so it creates a little bit of friction. So when nice. you grab your phone, it, you know, for me, it would be natural to grab it with my right hand and unlock it. And then it doesn't unlock. You're like, wait a second. Oh, yeah, yeah. I did that on purpose. I'm yeah. trying to catch myself. I'm trying to slow myself down. So that's a, that's a kind of a fun little one that somebody came up with. It's so interesting because I was going to ask you about that. I think in watching people on the street, yeah. I think a lot of people open their phone <laughs> and aren't even conscious of it. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And I yeah. heard you recently say that somebody, a, a general, the average person touches their phone 212 times a day. No. Really? I think it might be more than that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't remember the exact number, but it's, yeah, it's pretty extreme. I think you talked to Ryan Munsey on the Better Human Project yeah. and you dropped the number and you both went, whoa. <laughs> and I reckon just when you watch, when you people watch, yeah. People do it without even being conscious of it. Yeah. And that changing hands is a way to bring yeah. consciousness to what you're doing, isn't it? Yeah. That's a lot a lot of the tactics in the book are about creating friction because designers and engineers and, and you know, like I was talking about my people, the people, you know, the product software product <laughs> people, we've all spent years, decades trying to make these products as as seamless and as easy to use mm -hmm. and friction-free as possible. And, and that's because that's our job and that's the, the business incentives uh, you know, are, are aligned with doing that. But if we, if we step back from our, our jobs, our roles as designers or product managers or whatever, and we think about ourselves as individuals, if we want to have more control over our time and our attention and not get sucked into things in sort of a mindless way, um, then we need to add some of that friction back in. And so a lot of the tactics in the book are really, uh, in sort of a, a weird roundabout way, it's about making this stuff less easy to use um, or, or configuring it so that the, um, the things that you want to be using it for, the really meaningful, cool things that you can do with technology, those things are easy. But the stuff that, that you feel like kind of takes control you know, like the, the mindless checks of, of Instagram or, or LinkedIn or whatever, that you make those things more difficult. Yeah. It's almost like, it's almost like you need to treat yourself like a product. Yeah. And if you stepped away from yourself <laughs> and said, I'm going to design <laughs> yeah, the perfect absolutely. product, how would I design it? And what foolproof methods would I put in? What's important? Yep. How would I set it up? How would I compartmentalize it? Yep. How do I put in foolproof methods? Yeah. yeah. It's almost hearing you say that it's, 
you got to treat yourself as a product. We don't. We just mindlessly go with it and we let the computers almost control us through an addiction. Yeah, right. But we have control, don't we? We do. One of the reasons that I talk so much about about evolution and about you know how how humans evolved is that I think I think a lot of what we need to be doing as we're as we're thinking of ourselves as as products that we can design is is we need to like we need to think about how we're going to trick our future selves. So we all have we have we all have good moments and bad moments, right? We have moments where we just spent an hour browsing through Facebook on the couch and we're like, why the hell? What, it, what was I doing? Like, you know. Did you leave your camera on? No, I did. Obviously, Jay-Z yeah. could see you. That's it. No, I did. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Marty here behind the umbrella. You your T-shirt and your tracky decks. Absolutely. You could see Absolutely. it. But then we also have really good moments where, you know, where, where we think, this is how I want to be spending my time. This is what matters to me. This is the work that I want to be doing. And so I try to help people when they're in those good moments, think about what, it's going to be like when they're in their bad moments and, and set up the, the structures and the constraints and the barriers for that. So and it's very helpful to understand some of the, the biases and the, and the tendencies that we have as, as humans who have evolved in a, in, a, in a world that mostly didn't change for a couple hundred thousand years and then completely changed in the last 200 years um, and understand things like distraction and understand things like why uh, gossip and, and social contact is so important to us and how that makes us more likely to use technology in certain ways. Um, and I think if you can understand yourself, then you can begin to, to design your time and your attention around the things that, that matter to you. We had a guy on the show called Dan Gregory, who is one of the hosts of a TV show here called The Gruen Transfer. And he had a saying that he shared with us on the show. He said, design beats discipline. Yeah, And if absolutely. we struggle with discipline, yep. then we can design things to get around it. So yep. if you find yourself going in for fast food snacks, yep. then on Sunday night before the week ahead, go and buy a bag full of nuts and some fruit and fill your bag yeah. up and carry it with you so you can take the edge off and not be trapped into it. So design beats discipline. And it's kind of what you're saying here is that we absolutely, don't sit yeah. down to design ourselves a product. Right. We rely upon willpower. Right. I've heard you talk about willpower. Yeah. What, what, is your, what is your view on design beats discipline yeah. and how that helps with willpower? My view is that, is that willpower is a bit of a myth. That it's, um, it's an explanation for a pattern of behavior that, that we see, that exists, and we say, oh wow, look at that guy. Like, he's super productive, he's got his shit together, he's doing it all he must have amazing willpower. He must be amazingly disciplined. Um, but th there's, there's actually more and more research in the last few years that, that willpower doesn't really exist in the way that we think it does, that it, it, it is a myth. It's, it's an explanation of something that we see instead of being the source itself. Um, and, and so what we think of as willpower is the result of environmental factors. So it could be lifestyle decisions. It could be processes. It could be tools. It could be the physical environment that we live in. It could be um, what I think of as our internal environment, our mental environment of the mindsets that we have and the beliefs that we have and the stories that we tell ourselves. And, and so, yeah, I completely subscribe to the idea that, that design beats discipline and that um, if we want to develop greater willpower or discipline or we want to um, have more control or intentionality over what we're doing, then we need to, we need to think about changing our environment rather than relying on ourselves to just, you know, 
white knuckle it and make the right decision in the moment. So does that work in with the people we involve ourselves with too, the people we surround ourselves with, or are, you, are we talking more technology and all that all stuff? All of the here? above. And I, I think, you know, I, I, I don't want to pretend that we can just you know, leave our, our uninspiring friends by the side of the road. You know, that's, that's not, that's not what I'm saying, but, but, um, but it does, you know, I think it's, we can separate out the internal environment from the external environment. So the internal environment is, is mindsets, beliefs, things like that. External environment is really everything that happens physically to us. So it's, it's the things that our friends and family say to us or request or, or demonstrate. It's the technology that we use and how that's configured. It's the, um, it's the schedule that we have. It's the routines that we have around our commute and our working hours. And all these things are interconnected. Um, the, the thing about people is, um, is really interesting. And that's something that comes up a lot in, um, in the research around, around money, around like personal finance, is that people tend to mirror the spending habits of, or what they perceive to be the spending habits of the people that they spend time with because they, it's just natural. Again, back to the human evolution thing, wow. we, we naturally seek to sort of uh, equalize our status amongst the people that we spend the most time with. It also happens with, um, with health, with weight gain. Groups of friends tend to, to achieve sort of similar levels of fitness or, or you know, weight or things like that. Um, so I think it's, I think it, it plays a big role in how we spend our time and what we pay attention to. And when I talk to people about it, I, I, focus, I focus on it. The way that I focus on it is not to say you should go out and find new friends, but it's to say that if you begin to make some of these changes yourself, you will actually be an inspiration for your friends, your family, your, your children, if you have them, your colleagues, your friends, they will see that you're behaving differently and they'll see the benefits of those changes and they may begin to, to implement those changes themselves. It's funny because when you talk about that, I think one of the things that creates the unconscious addiction that we have is the fear of missing out, the FOMO, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, how, how, how have you advised people or helped people with their FOMO? Because it seems like it's just unconscious yeah but it's it's a it's a real thing but it's unconscious yeah how do you work them through that yeah we can only um be jealous of people that we can see people that we know about and so the first step that that really gets us most of the way there is to limit our ability to see what other people are doing on a constant basis. And so that really comes down to, to social media. So Instagram is probably the worst in terms of personal life. You know, everybody on Instagram presents the perfect version of themselves who's always traveling, always in perfect shape, always eating at the most amazing restaurants and whatever. Uh, for the, in the business world, it's probably LinkedIn. You know, people are always posting about how they're, you know, hashtag crushing it and, and you know, they're killing it in their business and whatever. Um, and so you can, you can, I think you can pretty dramatically change the way that you feel about yourself and your level of FOMO by just not exposing yourself to those things, which also has the side benefit of giving you more time so that you can do the stuff that you do care about, which then increases your self-esteem so you feel better about it. And it's sort of this, this nice self-reinforcing loop. But that's usually kind of the first, the first step when I, when I talk to people about that. It's interesting you mentioned before saying with the emails, yeah. certain time of the day, yep. and ideally just on your laptop. 
Yep. Do you also find that a tool for compartmentalizing and managing this is to pick specific tools for specific jobs or specific rooms of your house or specific parts of an office for specific uses? Is that part, have you, have you seen that implemented? Um, I've definitely, so, so I don't have very many rooms in my house, so <laughs> that's not really an option for me. But, um, but uh, I know that some people are, are, are big fans of that approach. Um, it's something that Gretchen Rubin mm. has talked about a lot. Um, and I've had people write into me and say that they've, they've created a new, um, a new routine, routine around making time for their highlight. And the one thing that I want, I want to make time for that involves going to a certain cafe or going and sitting in a certain quiet room of their house or in an attic. Um, my co-author, Jake, uh, who's also one of, my, one of my good friends, he just moved from San Francisco to Seattle and they bought a house. And the, the part of the appeal for the specific house that they bought was that it had an attic and that became his like focus zone where cool. he can go and he can, you know, get away from everything. Um, so, so personally, that's not something that I do, but that does work for a lot of people, but the tools thing, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I think it comes down to trying to be both sort of play both offense and defense. So defense in the sense that, um, you know, I don't use my phone for, email because my phone is always on me. And so I know that if I'm, if I'm checking email on my phone, then I can check it at any moment. But also offense because I'm better at email on my computer. I'm faster. I can type faster. I can actually clear through things. I can respond to things and get them off my plate rather than just looking on my phone. And then um, I think the, the, this phrase I think was invented by Cal Newport, uh, but, I'm, but I'm not sure. Um, attention residue um, when you just look at messages on your phone but don't do anything about them, it builds up this attention residue over time that then kind of gums up the works and makes it harder to do everything else you're trying to do. So, so I find that by using certain tools for certain kinds of activities, I can, I can be both defensive and I can actually be, be better at what I'm trying to do. The attention residue, yeah. is that because it's now in the back of my mind yeah. and I'm thinking about it till I sit down and do it. Yes. Is that how that works? Yeah, and that's, that's a, um, it happens a lot with the news. So if you're, if you're somebody who has breaking news alerts turned on in your phone, you're constantly getting, you, you know, you're learning what's happening in the world. Um, that, you know, you, only the, the sort of coldest person can, can say, oh, wow, you know, like, new evidence of corruption in the government. Oh, well, you know, back to, back to life, right? Like when you hear about stuff that's going on, it, it, some part of it sticks with you. Yeah, and sure. builds up. Same, it's another, it's a really big problem with, with email as well because you get an email and it's, you know, so-and-so wants your thoughts on something, wants you to review something and you're like, okay, I don't have time for that now, but some little part of your brain is thinking about that. It's ticking away, um, yeah. So, so I, think it's a, I think it's a big issue. I think that the, the flip side of it is that, um, there's a real power to, to passive thought. And so I think that it's, it's helpful to, to keep our minds clear so that when there is something that we need to be working on in the background, that we're free to do it. And I think when we, when we build up all the attention residue by constantly exposing ourselves to new information, then we don't give ourselves the ability to, 
to passively think through and process things that, that are important. So does that mean, sorry, just to finish this off, because yeah. you've fascinated me now. Cool, yeah. Does that mean that the, maybe the best time of the morning to do something that you really, sorry, the best time of the day to do something that you really need to focus on in that case is going to be like first thing in the morning when you don't have any of that residue from the day? Yes. Don't, don't look at your emails, don't check the news, just sit down and do yeah. it, then do that? Absolutely, yeah. And that's how I try to structure my day. So I will start working on my highlight, that thing that I really need to get done um, before I've looked at the news before I've looked at email, before I've looked at Twitter or LinkedIn or anything like that. In fact, um, when my wife and I moved off the boat and into our place in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where we live now, we set up a, um, we charge our phones inside of a cabinet. So behind a closed cabinet door. And so I can actually get up in the morning, walk out into the, into the living room and go into the kitchen and make myself some, some coffee, um, and some athletic greens, thanks to Gary. Um, (laughs) and, uh, and then I can sit down with my computer and I, and for the first hour or so of my day, I, there's no reason to look at my phone. Yeah. Great. I don't want to let that go on too long in case there's some truly, you know, time sensitive thing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, especially if you're the kind of person who has good creative energy in the morning where that's your best time to work anyway, the longer you can delay that first check-in, that first review, the more you can bring your undivided energy and focus to the thing that you're you know, most excited about doing. I think you've just changed my morning routine. All right. Do you know what's interesting, John, is when people introduce you, they introduce you as a productivity guy. Yeah. And they go, okay, we've got Jay-Z on, we're going to get productivity, getting your time sorted. Yet, I've heard you say that productivity <laughs> leads to stress. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Frame that for us because that is, it's no doubt on our show, productivity, getting things done yeah. is, is, a, is a big go. People love that topic. Yeah. Hence, your last show was very popular. Um, and hence, I, I wrote to you guys to say, look, come on, because it's a big topic. Right. Why, why does productivity actually lead to stress? I think that productivity is not the, it's not the complete answer it, it, because it, it, it points us toward doing more, but it doesn't necessarily point us toward doing more of the right things. Um, so, and, and this view is, is based on personal experience. When I um, first started working in technology companies, I, you know, I sort of watched as my, my time got shifted. When I first started, it was mostly time to do design work because that was what I did was design software products and a little bit of time for administrative work like emails and meetings and that kind of stuff. And then over the years, that balance shifted. And, and you know, then after a couple of years, it was maybe 60% design work, 40% administrative. And then next year it was 50-50. And then after that it was, it was 30-70 and it just kept shifting. And so one of the ways that I tried to deal with that was by getting really into all of the productivity hacking, you know, um, getting things done. You know, that book I read three times and I set up all the systems and I was constantly reading productivity blogs and, 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 and books and uh, giving, you know, going to talks and also giving talks about it. And I was just, I was just really in sort of this, this, this mode of trying to optimize my productivity. But I, I had this kind of, this crisis moment when I, when I was about a year into working at Google, which which you know, compared to the work I had done previously, was was a way bigger company, and so there was more of all of the administrative stuff. I just all of a sudden realized that I had gotten really, really good and really efficient at reacting. 
you know, I was every day I would clear my inbox, you know, I was doing inbox zero, but then, you know, the next day it would just fill up with messages again. Right. And so I kind of began to feel like, um, it was, it was kind of futile and that these systems were not helping me do more of what mattered. They were just helping me do more. And so I just started to take a step back and rethink my time. And, and, and I believe that, that to do the things that are really important to us, the things that we really want to do, we need to actually do less. We need to spend the majority of our time on a few things that are really important and then take care of the other stuff as quickly as we can um, instead of trying to make our days all about ticking off as many check marks as possible. It's interesting. Say you do all this. Yeah. And this is a listener question. Sure. You do all this. It works. That guy wrote the blog or they wrote the note to you saying, hey, did make time. Here's what I did with all my time. Yeah. I had a listener write to me saying, I've got all this time and now I'm riddled with guilt. <laughs> True wow. story. True story. What, I'm what kind of guilt? What kind of guilt? Or why, yeah. why is he guilty? Because owns the company, has a crew of 40 guys working, and he now has built systems, got some standard operating procedures, managing the whole thing, is getting fit, getting healthy, time for the family, gets to work, got much better systems, hitting the day, what matters, did all that. So by 2.30, he's going, kind of done it. I'm on a, now I'm going to go and work out. Now I'm going to go and take my wife to have a beer somewhere, whatever. He's got the freedom. Sure. But now he's riddled with guilt because he leaves the place and all the other guys are working. When, go back two years ago, he was right there with them and he was the last one to leave at 7.30 at night where they were taking off at 5 o'clock and knocking off. Right. What's your view on that and on someone handling the guilt of actually, well, I've actually made time, now I feel guilty because I've got it? Well, it, it sounds like, and not knowing this, this person, it, it sounds like maybe he did a really good job of transforming his own defaults so that he could spend his time on the things that were important to him, but he didn't use his position as a leader to transform the defaults of his company, of his people. Um, and I think that, that leaders are in, a, are in a, really, a really good spot to do that. They have a big opportunity because, of course, they can make changes for themselves, but they can also make changes that affect tens or, or hundreds or thousands of people. And, and think of the impact that they could have on the lives of all the people who work for them if they, if they made changes in terms of how they run the company, the expectations that they have, the... the you know the processes that they implement how frequently are they, how frequently they require status updates from teams or the types of recurring meetings that go on um, so 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 that would be sort of my response or my challenge for that person would be now it's time to do what you did for yourself for everybody else for your team um, and the other thing would be to to maybe help that person reframe the guilt as um, as an opportunity and think about how can that time be used to make you a better, more valuable person? You know, a person who, you know, maybe if you have more time to think, you're going to make better decisions as an executive or you're going to have um, more time to spend developing and mentoring some of your employees or you are going to um, be able to spend more time on generating 
innovative new ideas for your business or expanding into new fields. So, you know, not that there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with, with just living life. You know, I, I don't mean to say that everybody should always be trying to, to grow their business, but if as a business leader, as an entrepreneur, if presumably he cares about continuing to grow his business. And so there's, there are some things that you can do as a leader to grow your business that really do require that kind of uninterrupted time. And it sounds like he has that time. And so if he were to do that, then again, he can create benefits for the, the rest of the organization. See, I reckon that's really interesting. I think a lot of people who are in the corporate world suffer with the guilt of knowing it's okay to live a life when their identity is built around being a business person. Yeah. So many people build their whole identity, yeah. the whole being, who they are as being yeah. a mover and a shaker, a business person. Yeah. And I think they struggle with the fact that it's okay yeah. not to be working. I think you're right. I think so. I went through a bit of this when I left my job at Google Ventures before my wife and I took the sailing trip. Um, and for me, I, through a few conversations with friends and a couple of books that I read, I, I came to believe that it was really about status. And it was about a loss of status because living in San Francisco, I was in a very high status position. I lived in one of the great cities of the world, the most expensive city in the United States, hi- highly desirable. I worked at a company that everybody had heard of in a division that, that you know, made investments into other you know, interesting new companies that people had heard of. Um, and, and then I went from that to being a guy who lived on a sailboat. Uh, and so, yeah, big identity change. And, 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 and so, you know, now, you know, I've, I've a wonderful life and I'm very privileged and very grateful because, you know, I, I write books and people want to talk to me about them and that's amazing. Um, but it did take me a while to get over that loss of status. And so I think if you've wrapped your status, your sense of identity and status up in being, being busy, being the, the, the guy or the gal who's always, always on the go, always chasing the next lead, whatever. And, and even if you lose that because of your choices, and which is what happened to me, right? I gave up that status on purpose. It doesn't mean it's easy to go through that transformation. It doesn't mean that it's easy to, to adopt a new identity. I think it takes a bit of, bit of work. Are you seeing that the badge of honor of being busy is starting to change? Is, is there, because the reason I ask the question is in Silicon Valley, there are people now who used to work at Facebook, used to work at Twitter, used to work at Google, who are now stepping away and going, actually, this is destroying society. This is yeah. really dangerous. And they're, they're, they're a yeah. voice for it. Sure. Right or wrong, they're a voice for it. Sure. Is there an undercurrent, a swell, that says that, that whole thing about, how you doing, man? Oh, man, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. Friday night drinks, man, I'm so busy. Yeah. It used to be a badge of honor. Is, that, is there a change? It's really hard for me to say because I see a change, but it, it might just be what I'm exposed to. It may just be that I spend my days talking to people who care about this stuff and think about this stuff and want to be making these changes. Um, it's tough for me to, to sort of assess on an overall basis if if that change is happening. And there are people who are truly busy too. That's the other yeah. thing. You truly are flat out. Yeah. Plenty of people. Oh yeah, lots of people and and not always by their own by their own design. Sure. You know, sometimes it's just this the 
the cause of um, or the result of circumstances beyond their control. And then there are other people who are very busy because they truly enjoy it and they love it and they're 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 going all in. Well, there's, there's ego associated to it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, people who Gary Vaynerchuk will say, you've got to be hustling, going, yeah. got to be working 16 hours, sleep is for wimps, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. If you buy into that, there's a whole there is there's a whole bunch of ego that oh, goes yeah. with that whole thing about being busy and yep. you know, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm in the grind, I'm hustling. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean that that becomes its own distinct form of identity. You've made me think of a guy we used to work with, a, a mentor of mine, a guy called Jeff Thomas, and we would do well. We do it on the Mojo Show now. We would do Rocktober in, yeah. at the radio station back uh-huh. in the Triple M days, and he would literally walk into work at four, five o'clock in the morning, and he would leave at nine, ten, <laughs> eleven o'clock at night. Yeah. If, he, if, if he ever left, if yeah. he ever left. But by the end of the month, he, he he would run his fingers through his hair, and he would just literally wow. have clumps of hair in his fingers. Wow. So, yeah, you know, the good old days of rock and roll. Yeah, it's, um, <laughs> yeah. It just made me think. There are there are certainly people out there who, like you say, not by their own design, who just are flat out. People yeah. who take on your suggestions, read yeah. the book that you and Jake put out, make time. If they let this guy that wrote to you and said, I put make time into to work. Yep. And here's what I do with my time. What's it feel like to be in control? When you talk to people, you yourself, Jake, you're out, you're getting exposed to all this. Describe what it feels like for someone to be in control of their time. I think for me, it alternates between feeling very calming and feeling very scary because when I, so in general, I feel like I'm, I'm in control of my time. I mean, this is stuff that I, I work on and I think about a lot. And, and so when things are going really well and I, I know what I want to be working on and I've got a plan and I can really pour my energy into it, it feels great and it feels very calm. It kind of feels like, Time has slowed down, but in a good way. You know, I'm really able to savor those things. But there's also a bit of um, of overwhelm. There's kind of this this scary feeling that comes from, wow, I I could do anything, and and that raises questions for me of, am I doing the right things? Because I'm not just reacting all day long. I'm not just responding to everything that comes in. I'm not just saying yes to every meeting because I have to, because I believe that I have to. Um, it's, it's, you know, like, I, I think it's probably a little bit like how some executives or, or leaders feel where they feel like it's all riding on them. It's all riding on their decisions. And so there's a, there's a bit of, um, sometimes there is a bit of, I don't want to say fear, but, but I think overwhelm is probably the right word where I, where the, the, the weight of that flexibility, um, becomes very palpable. It's interesting. Just one thing I was going to ask you about. We had a guy on the, on the show, oh, I think it was last year, called Jason Redmond, Jay Redmond, former Navy SEAL. Yeah. And was deployed to Afghanistan and got shot literally in the face. Okay. And he was very, very badly banged up. Yeah. And he went to, he spent a long, long time in hospital, 27 odd surgeries. And he had a sign on the wall that even the President Bush made note of. They said, if you choose to come in here, don't bring your sympathy. I did a job that I love for a country I love, for people, defending people that I love, blah, blah, blah. I will overcome this. The reason I'm telling you that is because he became the overcome guy. Yeah. Anyway, during the show, Jay said there was a, a moment where something happened and he started to get flustered. And yeah. he thought he was going to give it in. He went, well, hang on a second. I'm the overcome guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I can deal with this. I'm the overcome right, guy. I can't yeah. do anything else. Yeah. 
Does John Zeratsky ever have that moment when yeah. you have no time? You go, <laughs> yeah. wait a second, I'm the make time guy and I have no time. Definitely. I'm in one of those moments right now because I, I, I was lucky enough to get a bunch of invitations to do speaking and to put on some workshops and stuff like that throughout the fall, uh, Northern Hemisphere fall. So for September, October, November, um, and, uh, and I, I said yes to all of it. And I was excited about it. I, I am excited about all of it. Um, and, you know, when, I was, when it was July and I was looking at my calendar and I was putting in the, the blue boxes of all the stuff I was going to be doing, I was like, oh, wow, that's going yeah, to be busy. <laughs> um, and, and so now it's, it's happening. I mean, you know, it's mid-October. So I'm right in the middle, right at the peak of that, that busy fall season of, of speaking and traveling. Mm. And... and now a lot of things that are, are, are coming in and I'm like, oh, I, I don't have time for that. I cannot make more time. Mm. You know, mm. it, I could, maybe I could, you know, I could stay up really late and work on it late at night or whatever, but, but I can't make time for that in a sustainable way, not in a way that's in keeping with my, my principles and, and my values. Um, so it's really been, been forcing me to confront the, you know, that there is a, there's a floor, you know, there's a, there is sort of some base level at which, yeah, I've, I've, I've stripped away the things that really don't matter and I'm, I'm doing the things that do matter, but there, there ultimately is only so much time in the day. And so for me, the questions that I'm asking myself are about prioritization, you know, do, in the future, do I want to do as much of this kind of stuff or less? Um, I'm also thinking a lot about seasons. So I, I've, September, October, November, very busy. But December and January, I don't have any events booked. I'm not doing any events in December and January. Um, I'm trying to take sort of a seasonal approach to being really busy at times and then being less busy. Um, but then, of course, I'm also thinking as a you know as a an entrepreneur, I'm thinking about delegation and thinking about you know uh, working with other people, hiring people, all that kind of stuff. Um, which you know again is is a privileged position to be in, but. Um, but yeah, right now I'm sort of in that in that moment of feeling like, wait a second, like I should be able to make time for this, yeah, but I yeah. can't. What's, <laughs> what's going that, on? Yeah, I'm the big time guy. Um, I'm going to put a few things together sure, here. Yeah. You talked about blue boxes, and you're on your calendar. Oh yeah, right. And uh, you mentioned David Allen from GTD, yeah. getting things done. Who's going to be a guest on the show in a couple of weeks' oh, time? Oh, cool, great. Which is really cool. I'm yeah. looking forward to that. There's a lot of stuff I want to ask him about. Yeah. What's your day planner look like? Yep. So do you do it the night before, morning of, weeks out? How do you structure that? Is it on paper? Is it digital? How do you set out your day to know what's coming up or what you're going to attack? Yeah. Well, I use a digital calendar. I use Google Calendar. It's a habit that stuck around from working at Google all those years. Um, and... I was talking before about about having good moments and bad moments, right? Having those moments when we're when we're you know we're distracted, we're crazy, we're busy, um, and then having those other moments when we've got a, a moment to think and plan. And what I have done is I have in those good moments, those calm moments, I have created a calendar template for myself. So I actually have in Google Calendar, I have my personal calendar, I have a shared calendar with my wife, I have a couple other calendars, and then I have one called Template. And it's a calendar that I can switch on or off, but it is my, it's my ideal day. It's actually wow. my ideal week. So it has everything mapped out. And so, 
Yeah, totally. And so I can I can reference that and refer to it um, as I'm planning through my day. And and one one thing that I do when when it starts to feel a bit out of control is I reference that template and I try to get back to that template. So you can build that template in Google. Like that's that's a standard. It's not something you built. Like you right. built you built your own template. But the the it's not a feature. Program, it's not a feature. It's okay. not a feature of Google okay. Calendar. Okay. It's just I just made another calendar and I just have like I have. Um, the very first thing, and this is going to sound so ridiculous, but the very first thing on the calendar is wake up and make coffee. And okay. then the next <laughs> thing is... nothing ridiculous about that. <laughs> no, nothing, <laughs> nothing at all. And then the next thing is, is uh, I forget how I have it described, but I think it's just as work block, working block or something like that. And then make, I have... Then make second cup of coffee. Yeah, and then it's... Yeah, and then it's uh, I think then, then the next block is, is shower, breakfast, and second coffee. Yeah, and nice. then another work block. And then I have um, 11 a.m. is my is my preferred podcasting slot, and I do uh, quite a, a few podcast interviews, and so I reserve that one. And then I have lunch in there, and then afternoon I have a few meeting slots. I have an email slot, and I have my social media slot. And then I even have my template even extends to the the evening, so I have a. Um, uh, uh, workout or, or sort of physical activity slot. Um, I have a. It's labeled happy hour, although it doesn't always involve drinking. But that's that's my time for <laughs> for my wife and I to just kind of hang out and catch up on the day, or for me to you know meet a friend and, and grab a beer or something. Um, and then and then you know having dinner and and I even put in my bedtime on my calendar so that I yeah, nice. I've got kind of that that reference yeah. for you know when I had that moment of clarity and that moment of of calm. What did I what did I th- think my ideal day looked like and that's sort of the the north star the gold standard for for planning my days that's great in the last 100 days yeah have you made a change to your planner your structure your day yep. your week your month have i have you, yeah have you made a profound change not profound um when we came, when we when we finished up the sailing trip and we moved into our place in milwaukee it was such a unique opportunity to start from a a blank canvas and to create kind of the structures that I wanted. And then it's, so that was the dramatic change was shifting from this full-time travel um, to more of a, you know, conventional sort of normal life working. Um, and so that was the big transformation. And since then it's been small changes, but I have, I have continued to, to tweak and experiment. Um, I actually reduced from, I used to have three meeting slots and I reduced it down to two per day. Um, because I found that on the days that I had three meetings in the afternoon, I didn't have time to catch up on email and stuff. And so that it made me either I would be working on email at night or I would end the day kind of feeling like I was behind and I wasn't on top of things. Uh, yeah, calls, they can either, sometimes they're in person, sometimes they're, they're on the phone or video, but yeah, meetings, um, calls with people. Um, I started doing yoga a couple months ago. So I have a, a, I basically across the week, I have, um, a few days when I do yoga, a few days when I do uh, strength training and then, um, walking the, the rest of the time, sort of just my, my baseline activity. Um, those are some of the big, the big tweaks that I've made. So yeah. you've got your perfect day yeah. in your calendar. Gary will refresh my memory. We had someone on the show recently who talked about having a home game and a away game. Who was that? Uh, that was me. Do, was it, <laughs> <laughs> Some guy. Do, do, do you have an away game? Just like if, if you're, you've got your perfect day at home. No, but I totally should. Yeah, That's yeah, a okay, really right. good... That, and that's something that I've struggled with a bit with all the traveling that I've been doing is um, there are certain, certain routines that I can keep in place um, but, but my schedule often 
it's often so different than what's going on at home because you know I have to be somewhere at 7:30 to give a, a talk or something like that. So, so I I have. I have told myself that it wouldn't be possible, but but I suspect that it actually is possible. I could probably create sort of the away game version of the of the template that would that may not be quite as detailed as the, the home game because I don't have as much control over my time, but um, would probably be really helpful for me. Because I would imagine things like yoga must still find a way into your day even when you are away, right? Yeah, definitely. All the all the physical stuff um, definitely is still really important. It's it's mostly the the more work related, you know, the the balance of when am I out doing something at an event, when am I at you know back in my hotel or whatever, you know, doing email or trying to to write or do other creative work. So. Yeah, I should I should definitely think through how I could how I could templatize that as well. Templatize, good word. Do you? It's interesting when you, I hear people interviewing. So we talk about David Allen, and I heard somebody interviewing David Allen from yeah. GTD, and world leader in getting things done, productivity, planning, and everything else. And as soon as you finished the show, this girl said, "I'm going to implement this," and he said, "No, don't." He said, "You should." work out whether this works for you. Don't just take my word for it. I've heard Adam Grant say the same thing to people. They go, I'm going to do that. I'm, I'm on it. And he goes, well, no, don't. You've got to work out whether it suits you. Back to where we started the show from it suits your circumstances. Do you think people are so caught up in trying to have it perfect that they're actually missing some of the vibe of just enjoying life? It just seems perfectionism for some people with the portrayal of the perfect world on Instagram the perfect day, the perfect everything, the perfectionism is actually getting in the way of just, you know what? Have you got a pretty good life? Yeah. Yeah, I I think so. I think um, when people, I think especially when it comes to to fitness and health and, and, and productivity and things like that. When people will pick up a book and they'll read it. And like you said, they'll say, I'm going to do it. This sounds Mm. great. And, and a lot of the advice in those books is presented in such a detailed way that, I think it. People imagine themselves going from from zero to one hundred, or from going from what their what their life looks like today to what it looks like in that book that they just read. And then, even if they are able to do that, when inevitably they mess up, or they stop doing it um, because it doesn't quite work for them because they haven't gone through the process of figuring out what's what does work for them. Then they feel bad about themselves. Because they screwed up, right? They messed up the system. It's not perfect. Yeah. They weren't able to to do it right, um, and I I hear that a lot, and I've I've felt that myself. I've been through that quite a few times with a lot of the the systems that we've talked about, and so we we actually set up make time to be experimental and and personal from from its core. It really the the stuff in the book. There's 87 different tactics, but they're meant as kind of a cookbook, kind of a recipe book of things that you try. And then the core framework of highlight, laser, energize, and reflect is really about picking and choosing and trying the little things bit by bit and building up to a system that works for you. And for some people like me, who are you know obviously complete nerds about this stuff, the, the system has a lot of things that I do, but for a lot of people, it's just a few things. And, and if, it's, if, if three tactics that you can do forever work for you, that's way better than, than 15 tactics that you can only do for a month before you, you fall off the wagon and feel like a failure. It's funny, I was talking to a guy who does a lot of driving, so a, a truck driver, so to speak. Yeah. And he absorbs 
hundreds of hours of podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> yet struggles with so many things. Right. And it's because he's not curating what he learns. Sure. And he's just consuming all this stuff. Sure. But then not putting anything into practice. Yeah. I think it also comes down to to learning models. You know, different people learn in different ways. Um, I mentioned Gretchen Rubin before, and she has a her her framework called the Four Tendencies. Um, that's really really interesting, and it's about how people choose what to do, what what behaviors to adopt, um, and. And that's been, a, that's been a learning process for me because I'm the sort of person who can read a book and then go and try it and do it. And a lot of people don't work in that way. And, and, and you know, maybe your, your friend who, who drives a truck, you know, maybe his lifestyle supports consuming information in a certain way, but maybe his learning style is something completely different. Um, and, and I'm not, I don't know quite how to, what to do with that, that insight, but, but that has been an important insight for me that everybody learns and everybody changes their behavior in a different way. And so if I really want to be able to help lots and lots of people with this stuff, I need to have lots and lots of different ways to meet people where they are and help them adopt things in their own personal style. Yeah. Mate, I could sit here. We'd, we would definitely need some Dos Equis to have the, <laughs> yeah, I think so. the sun is going down here on Bondi Beach. This has been, I got to say, it's such a gift of podcasting that I never, it's, it's funny, even when we started six seasons ago, I did have dreams of making contact with great thought leaders yeah. of different categories around the world. And it's funny, I, I always had that dream, never shared it, always had that dream. Yeah. But the more and more I get to meet people here, or I was on the phone last week with a mutual friend, we have Ryan Munsey, we yeah. spent an hour on Skype just chatting about the world. Cool. And I went, man, this is such a gift that comes from podcasting. Yep. And it's such a privilege to sit with you, meet you, and be able yeah. to sit opposite you. I honestly, I feel as though we should have beers here and some fish and chips. I think we should. <laughs> fish and chips would be. It doesn't feel like a show. It just feels no, like we're absolutely. chatting and <laughs> carrying on about. Stuff. Yeah, we were we were having a conversation and then and then Rabo swung the mics in <laughs> and we just kept talking. And... <laughs> that was about it, right? Yeah, that is. Hey, listen, we can't it. let you go though because I'm just going to give you a quick Aussie education. Oh, it good. It occurred good. to me okay, while great. we were sitting here. <laughs> so, so I've just written down three Aussie terms that I thought you might come across that you might want to know about. And, okay. And I thought I'd, I'd throw them at you first and see if you can if you can pick them. So the first. The <laughs> Fair dinkum, fair dinkum, eh? So the first one is dry as a dead dingo's donger. <laughs> which, which we are, and we're about to go and order some Dos Equis. Right. Ah, okay. You have Got any it. idea what that might be? Well, yeah. Gary just okay. gave it away. Yeah, that's right. We've yeah. just given that one away. So, okay, so if you're watching the football, if you're watching the rugby, yeah. and a guy scores a meat pie, do you know what that one might be? I, I have no idea. No, okay, so, so wait, our, our version of a touchdown in rugby is a try. Okay. Right, so, if, so if a guy scores a try and it was a good, particularly good one, mate, that was an awesome meat pie that guy scored. <laughs> wow. And, and the last one is, uh, and this is one you'll want to remember, is uh, I'll have a skewy of VB, mate. Say it again. A skewy. Skewy. A VB. A VB. Yeah. What's VB? That's VB beer, is right? A beer. Okay. Yeah. What's and a skewy? Is our serve. So like a pint ah, or whatever, we have a okay. Skew, it's called a schooner. But Aussie slang, oh, like short that. and everything, so it's a yeah. skewy of VB. Yeah, that information might come in handy in, in the about near 20 future. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think we'll run this, this show up the flagpole. <laughs> see if it flies. Let's see if it flies. Yes. I reckon that's a beauty. Um, mate, welcome to Australia. Thank, Thank you, you so yeah. much Thank for putting for us. Me. I mean, for you, I know what it's like when you travel. But you were good to your word. You said you wanted to catch up. Yeah. You're here on Bondi Beach. This is our first of our summer series. Uh, it's been a real treat yeah, having you on the show. Yeah, such a pleasure to be here. Really nice to Thank be you. able to meet you face to face. Absolutely. And 
And thank you for putting this in your schedule, mate. Thank you for making time for the yeah, Mojo Radio Show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and we better run because that big that surfwear shop just there. I just saw AP walk out in a mankini. <laughs> <laughs> Bondi Beach, the Mojo Radio Show Summer Series. Happy summer, my friend. First of the Summer Series down. The outside broadcast, Stu, Stu, Studio. This is Phil Collins here. <laughs> and I, I, think, uh, I think, forget the Summer Series, let's just do this every day. This is a brilliant spot for, this is a brilliant spot for radio, it's a brilliant spot for podcasts, it's a brilliant spot for... In fact, I can't think of anything this is not good for. No, I think it's good for your health in general. So before we close the show, a couple of interesting facts that I found, and this has really resonated with people. Google, as much as they take our time and they distract us, it's not Google's fault. It's completely our fault. It's taken responsibility, as we just talked to Jay-Z about. But something people may not know is how much work Google are actually doing in digital wellness. Now, here's the example. They built this thing, and it's basically a phone made of paper. So the idea is it's only for Android, unfortunately, but you download this app and you put onto it the essential things you want for your day. So it might be, say, contacts. It might be a Sudoku puzzle. It could be a recipe for dinner tonight. It could be your to-do list. It could be a map of how you get to Bondi. What you do is you put it into this app, then you print it out and fold it up like a phone. So it essentially is your phone on paper, which wow. saves you from then having to grab your phone to do everything in your day. It's pretty so cool. So we're talking it? digital scrapbook? Is that right? Well, kind of. I think it's the, the idea of it is you might put a map on the back of it. Right. And okay. then as you unfold it, yep. there's your recipe for tonight's dinner. There's wow. your to-do list. There's the things. You, so it's, you, you kind of build it to suit yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, the reason they're doing it, the other part of it is, is a thing called Unlock Clock, which turns your wallpaper into a giant counter that counts how many times you touch your phone during the day. Oh, that's dangerous. Now, as we said to Jay-Z, the average person, and no one listening to the Mojo Radio Show is average, let's face it, but the average person touches their phone at least 200 times in a given day. Wow. But we do it unconsciously, right? We don't think about it. So this actually counts every time you do it. So you can see, whoa, I'm actually up to 120. That's probably not healthy. Yeah, absolutely. The other idea they've got in this digital wellness experiment is a thing they call Postbox. And what it does is it consolidates all your push notifications and pushes them all at once. All right. So rather than When every... you tell it to? Yeah. Right, okay, cool. So you might say, okay, I don't want any distractions until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. From 3 to 5, it's open slather. So you put everything in and you schedule it to open at 3 and give you all your push notifications at once, which means you get the rest of the day to do... <laughs> to, as, to do them. <laughs> as David Allen would say, whatever the hell you want. So that's pretty cool. And then the last one, just very quickly, is called the Google Desert Island where you can turn off everything on your phone except the most essential app, maybe like your emails. So I just find it fascinating that Google, who are all about making their money from taking our attention, are doing their best to say, well, how do we give it back? It's it's not the technology's fault. It's our lack of discipline and knowing what's important. So I've got to say, hats off to Google. I agree. I, uh, I'm constantly stunned at the end of each week when I get my, I don't know if you've, you've noticed, Apple give you your little time on the phone each week. Do you get that little notification? I get mine on a Sunday night and shows up like I've spent five hours, 16 minutes and 23 seconds on my phone in the last seven days. And I look at that and I think, how the hell? But then you stop and think about it and you go, you know what? That's actually probably pretty bloody close. That's a bit sad. 
Well, I think the only thing with that is it's probably made up of Pantera, <laughs> ACDC, the Angels and Screaming Jets. So Could be too. It's, it's probably... Right. In, it, let's just put it down to music based. Well, maybe listening to the Mojo radio show, maybe, should we say. So we need to close this little shindig here, the first of our summer series, live from Bondi Beach, uh, play out track. I'm feeling a little inspired. How about uh, some California girls, David Lee Roth? God, so cliche. <laughs> We're out. Joe Radio Show is produced and recorded in the basement of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. To help us get better and give more people the opportunity to touch up their mojo, you can now find us on Patreon. Follow the links on the front page of our website and for a coffee or two a month, you'll get regular bonus material and a copy of Explosive Hits 19, the best of the Mojo Radio Show. In the meantime, to polish your next audio production, check out voodoosound.com.au. For more about Gary, see garybirdwhistle.com and to book me, go to andrewpeters.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.